Greetings, everyone. I hope that as you're coming online a few minutes early that you're enjoying the meditation before the meditation, our silent time together, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, before uh, our more uh, prescribed uh, five minutes of sitting together as, as others come online. I want to uh, alert you that at the end of our sitting, when I ring the bell, we typically will recite the uh, verse of the robe. That's what we've classically done. Uh, today, because of the topic that I'd like to focus on, I'd like for us to um, instead reverse the order of our chanting. And this time, we're going to say the four practice principles. That's the one that begins with uh, caught in the self-centered dream, which we do at the end usually. We're gonna do it right after our, um, our sitting, uh, before um, my small reflection. So just, just be aware that we'll be doing something a little bit different and changing the order of things. And it wakes us up a little bit. Also, I'll remind you of a, um, something many of you have certainly heard and maybe read um, it was something that uh, Norman Fisher uh, had in his book, Training and Compassion, where he said, uh, practice uh, like you're with others when you're alone and practice like you're alone when you're with others. I've mentioned this previously because since we can't see each other uh, and you can sit in your pajamas and, and uh, drink tea and pet the dog, um, but Notice what it's like if you assume yourself to be in the, the clouds endo, your home's endo, and actually sit during this five minutes in a way that um, asks uh, something of you um, that isn't just waiting. Uh, it's not about being strict or, or harsh, but notice what happens when you're willing to bring yourself fully to the one thing, to just the sitting for these next five minutes, okay?
you might bring <clears throat> a very gentle attention to your body and your breath. Using a light touch, so that your attention is oriented to the ongoing rising and falling of the breath. And your remarkable embodiment, no matter what its condition at this moment, And that same light touch might notice thoughts arising and passing away, streaming through. Emotions that connect to the thoughts, feelings that you have that arise and pass away, that stream through. Whole worlds that you can imagine without even trying. But with a light touch of consciousness and attention, you can notice, even name these things. And in doing so, it's a gentle step back without denying and without identifying with anything that passes through your consciousness, attending to presence and to our embodied container without being too enchanted by the contents of our consciousness. bringing ourselves wholeheartedly upright, awake and aware to this flow of inconceivable life. Now the four practice principles caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. Caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way.
caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher, being just this moment, compassion's way. I wanted to begin with this verse um, because I wanted us to focus a bit on a, a kind of a theme that I feel in practice and in our culture and surrounding the pandemic and many things that um, are moving in the, uh, the space of our practice now, which is something like, and this is um, kind of crudely said, get me out of here, get me out of here. Some of you might be familiar with um, the very first book that was published of much note in a series by Pema Chodron. You know, she's such an important and wonderful teacher, an elder in um, the Buddhist community. And the first little book that was published by Shambhala of hers, the title was The Wisdom of No Escape. The Wisdom of No Escape. So it's it reflects our time where um, many of us are at home or at least um, limited in our activities. So many people are limited in incredibly challenging ways. Um, so it's both reflective of our experience and it's a challenge, this no escape. But she talks about the wisdom of no escape. Here's a brief quotation from her, um, her book. And I love her phrase. She talks about um, what she calls an innocent mistake. It's a, like in the meditation when I was suggesting that you have a very light touch, just a soft kind of attention. She says the innocent mistake that keeps us caught in our own particular style of ignorance, unkindness and shutdownness, is that we're never encouraged to see clearly what is with gentleness. Instead, there's a kind of basic misunderstanding that we should try to be better than we already are, that we should try to improve ourselves, that we should try to get away from painful things, that if we just learn how to get away from the painful things, then we'd be happy. And, you know, she goes on further, but you, you get the feeling of this innocent mistake that keeps us caught in our particular style of ignorance, unkindness and shutdownness, because we're not encouraged to see what is. Caught in the self-centered dream. Only suffering. Holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. We're caught because we're holding 
caught in the self-centered dream, only suffering, holding to self-centered thoughts, exactly the dream. And as the dream and the thoughts shape each other, but the key is self-centeredness, the separation, the concern about how I improve, how I hide, how I can get away. And we see that as uh, one of the, actually one of the most pernicious pandemics in our culture right now is that kind of self-centeredness. And unfortunately it's being uh, encouraged at uh, very powerful levels. So the wisdom of no escape is an innocent mistake because, and it reveals to us our particular style of ignorance and unkindness and shutdownness when we stop and engage in zazen or some form of meditation. So those are the first two lines that we just chanted. The next line that we chanted is each moment, life as it is, the only teacher. And this suggests the practice turn, what we do to um, see, to be encouraged to see clearly what is. Here's what Pema says about meditation very briefly. Meditation is about seeing clearly the body that we have, the mind that we have, the domestic situation that we have, the job that we have, the people who are in our lives. It's about seeing how we react to all these things. It's seeing our emotions and thoughts just as they are right now, in this very moment, in this very room, on this very seat. It's about not trying to make them go away, not trying to become better than we are, but just seeing clearly with precision and gentleness. Seeing clearly with precision and gentleness. Seeing exactly each moment. What do we see? Life as it is. What does that offer us? Teaching. If we can see it that way. Uh, you've often heard me say, some of you that have um, been students for a while, that our choice is to live in this body with this heart and mind, with this conditioning and life circumstance, with these people and these relationships and this context, because that is where we live. And we can fight against it or we can choose it. But if we begin to tap into the wisdom of no escape and understand that we've made an innocent mistake by being caught in a self-centered perspective and holding on to that perspective, then we have a possibility of seeing what are the teachings. Each moment, life as it is, the only teacher. The last line in the, in the small series of um, practice principles is being just this moment, compassion's way. And once again, just a couple of lines from Pema. The problem is, she says, that the desire to change is fundamentally a form of aggression toward yourself. The other problem is that our hangups, unfortunately or fortunately, contain our wealth. Our wealth, our neurosis and our wisdom 
are made out of the same material. If you throw out your neurosis, you also throw out your wisdom. Being just this moment. I'm crazy. <laughs> Being just this moment. I feel loving. Being just this moment. I'm furious and frustrated. Being just this moment. I feel patient and loving. Being just this moment. Being, the beingness of the moment, not the content of the moment, the beingness of the moment. The loving presence, the willingness to not escape is compassion's way. Because remember, compassion is the capacity to meet suffering and not turn away, not blow out, not react, not make things worse. So to not make things worse, which in kind of a joking way, um, I've, I've heard Norman Fisher say, this is why we sit on these cushions, is to not make things worse. To not make things worse, to actually engage the way of compassion is to be fully with this moment. What happens, and now we're reading the four practice principles in reverse, compassion's way is the ability to be in just this moment. Because in this moment, we get the information, the experience, the sensations, the reality, which is teaching us how to be, how we can be in the world with ourselves and others. And that comes through life as it is, every single moment. So the dream, which we've sustained by holding to thoughts, we can open, not hold so tightly. And suffering begins to diminish when those self-centered thoughts are let go of, and the self-centered dream begins to fall apart or evaporate, and we're no longer caught. We're liberated, we're free. But to do that, we have to engage something that is really, really hard for most people. And it's being shown to us right now, which is, can we, <laughs> it's, it's like training a dog. Can you just stay? We see on, um, if some of you watch the news, you see images from the 4th of July, huge parties, uh, gatherings of people, seemingly oblivious to the fact that there's a pandemic. Centuries ago, or many years ago at least, not too many centuries, Blaise Pascal said, not in English, but in French, he said, all of humanity's problems stem from a person's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. This is what we ask ourselves to do, not so much the alone part. And so many years ago, this well-known person is saying, most of our problems stem from an inability to appreciate the wisdom of no escape, the wisdom of staying, the wisdom of being willing to actually feel the fullness of our life because often it's so uh, challenging or frightening. I, I feel blessed to be in a place where I don't have a lot of challenge from the coronavirus and I'm still able to do this and to be with you and to work. And I have a loving partner 
in a beautiful place. So the, the, the situation is quite privileged in that way. And even in that, I feel times a little, uh, little wiggly. Um, it's like the, the famous statement, which you most all of you heard from uh, Suzuki Roshi saying, a meditation retreat is like putting a snake in a bamboo tube. It's a, a funny image of like every little wiggle you notice, like I'm trying to get, let me out of here. I, I don't like these constraints. No one likes those constraints. It's what you do with them that makes the difference and what spiritual practice can assist us with. So sitting zazen is actually one of the most practical and down-to-earth things you can possibly do at this time in our culture and in this situation. Learning to sit quietly in a room. So we can understand and feel and appreciate the transformative effect of no escape. choosing to remain upright, not just still in some sort of forced way, but how do we remain upright in the face of whatever comes? Family members being ill or dying, um, economic challenges, there, there are terrible things happening. How do you remain upright? It doesn't mean unmoved. It doesn't mean heartless or not appreciating the difficulties. Being upright might be grieving fully, wholesomely, because that's the, the appropriate thing to do. We learn to stay longer than you thought you could. We notice this in longer retreats. We sit longer than we thought we could and realize everything that arises and passes away as we stay and watch and stay and watch and stay and listen and stay and feel in our body. Not only can we notice the transformative effects of no escape, but we can stay longer than we thought we could, especially sitting with others, watching things arise and pass away. And we stay longer than, than we could alone. And in doing so, we'll discover, and this is, this is the, um, the, the gift. We discover our basic sanity and our basic goodness in the midst of the inevitable swirl of thoughts and emotions and body sensations. It doesn't stop. You're still gonna be um, the, you know, what I call a messy miracle. You're still gonna be all of that, but you discover at the center, the still quiet, sanity, the basic good heart in the midst of it all. A story that I was speaking about yesterday in a practice discussion group, uh, which no doubt some of you have also heard, but it, it's apropos here, um, a very well-known and sophisticated, uh, successful person decided to come to a Sashin, uh, a seven-day traditional Zen retreat, with Suzuki Roshi back in the old days in San Francisco, uh, thinking that this would be a good thing to do. And if any of you have done, done long retreats like that, you know, it's quite challenging. And uh, Zen Sashin has a certain form to it that's quite rigorous. Uh, it's uh, geared to help us understand the wisdom of no escape. 
And this person on about the third or fourth day, which is often the apex of difficulty when we just are having trouble, he came to a private interview and said, I can't do this. I, I can't. I'm going to have to leave. And Suzuki Roshi said, yes, we try and we try and we fail. And then we go deeper. We try and try and, and we fail and we go deeper. He didn't suggest that he stay. He didn't suggest that he go. He just said, yes, this is how it is. And this is what's possible if you begin to understand the wisdom of no escape. We are so enchanted. Part of the self-centered dream is um, in, in practice, we call a curative fantasy. We have this idea that if we just practice wholeheartedly, that whatever difficulties we have, those things that Pema was saying we could make ourselves better, will finally go away. We'll finally solve ourselves. Because the desire is to be free from all suffering and pain, of course, rather than understanding that we can actually only be free within, not from, within the actual life we find ourselves embedded in. That's why our difficulties, our neurosis, and our wisdom are made of the same fabric, this body, this life. When we desire to be free from what we can only be free in. This is the Buddhist teaching. But people want to read the teachings as a path to complete freedom from all suffering, a kind of permanent heaven or nirvana, an extinguishing of everything bad, so we can have only the good, which is a profoundly dualistic model, which is, is not the Buddhist teaching. In fact, it's odd because it would really suggest that our longing is to be free from life itself. And it's the ultimate self-centered dream disguised as a spiritual practice. If I do this, I will get this good thing. And the um, Shin Shen Ming, which I won't go into, but it's a, a beautiful poem of the third Zen ancestor. There's a line that says, don't keep searching for the truth. Just let go of your opinions. And often our strongest opinions are associated with our spiritual practice, what we think and hope it will bring us. Now, most of us in this culture, whether we're involved in spiritual practice or not, do carry a sense of entitlement to happiness, um, personal happiness. It's kind of the American way. It may be in other Western cultures as well, or, or Eastern, but certainly in America, there's this sense of, well, uh, happiness is like the goal. And if I'm not happy, there's been some mistake, or I've not been doing something right, because personal happiness is the goal and the measure of a good life. So I wanna strive for more happiness. And of course we want to be happy. I, I'd like to be happy and I enjoy it. But our personal happiness as the goal and as an organizing principle to guide our life is once again, this ultimate form of a curative fantasy. 
especially in spiritual practice. It's called spiritual materialism, which of course is a foundation of our, our culture, this sort of materialistic view. I will do this and I'll get, I will do this and I will get that. It'll be for me. Because remember, the causes of suffering and pain are different from the source of suffering and pain. There are endless sources of suffering and pain, delusions, difficulties, struggles. We see them all around. They're, they're, these sources are everywhere, little probes, things that are jostling us around. And there are Dharma gates for every one of them. Like, how are you going to meet it? Each moment, life as it is. It's our response which determines whether or not we'll suffer, not, not the thing. The cause of the suffering is our response to the source. There are many sources. We suffer because of our stance towards reality. First, like the demand that life be different can't be this way. I won't accept it. I won't even go to, into all the things that come through my mind when I, that are difficult and cause me suffering. Two, right on its heels, the fear, fearful perception that this life is unworkable. Demand that it be different. And then uh, this is like it is, but it, it's not workable. I can't do this. And then three, finally, just the refusal to face life as it is. I, I won't do it. These are the ways in which suffering begins to arise. The demand that life be different. The fearful perception that it's unworkable and the refusal to face life as it is. You can fight reality all you want, but reality is ultimately going to win. So how do we learn to dance, move with reality, and in the process, maybe even do some good and care for others and for ourselves to work to solve real problems and help out where we're needed? There's so many, so many options and when we decide to say, okay, this is life as it is, so how are we going to, how are we going to move? And this is not a path of passive acquiescence or to circumstances. Like, oh, life as it is. No, this is the wise and compassionate response to circumstances because we see the way it actually is. We tend to make things worse because we react out of our conditioning based on our fear and anger rather than responding, reacting rather than responding out of our basic sanity and basic goodness our Buddha nature, our true self, whatever you want to call it. That's why we sit to come back to that. Spiritual practice is not going to change the world to match our desires. Even our desire for a spiritual life. Spiritual practice is not going to offer that. That kind of longing is just another formula for suffering, not its resolution. But we can learn to respond in wholesome ways to a world that never stops changing. And we can turn away. We can call it, you know, we can't have our own version of saying it's fake news. It's not real. We can blame others. We can give excuses. We can rail against it. We can numb out. And many 
other management strategies for not facing what is. But ultimately, the reality and truth of the situation is going to shine through. And as it does so, it's an opportunity for us to call forward the best in us and call it forward in others. This is the curriculum of a bodhisattva is dedicated to turning each moment and each situation and each relationship just a little bit more towards freedom from unnecessary suffering and pain. The Zen teacher John Tarrant once said, there are no circumstances under which it is wise to refuse life. Each moment, life as it is, because it's the teacher. Here's a curious uh, final quotation. I'll tell you who it is after I do the quote. You can hold yourself back from the sufferings of this world. That is something you're free to do and it accord with your nature. But perhaps this very holding back is the one suffering you could avoid. Exactly what we've been talking about and what the Buddha taught. And what a surprise that it came from Franz Kafka. You could hold yourself back from the suffering. This is something you're free to do. I'm free. Don't tell me what to do. I can do whatever I want. But perhaps this very holding back is the one suffering you could avoid and turn toward the world for the good of the world. And this is the teaching of the Buddha and the view of anyone who begins to ripen into maturity. Just as a closing here, uh, I was curious when I began to look at Pema Chodron's other books, I'm gonna list the titles in order of when they were published and notice how it's basically the teachings that we've been talking about. The first, the wisdom of no escape. First, we have to stop and actually turn toward ourselves. Second book, start where you are. Take a careful, mindful look. This is where we begin. Third book, the famous one, when things fall apart. When we stop running, start where we are, we realize everything is interdependent, arising and passing away, always changing, always falling apart, always re being reborn. Next, what we discover in the next title, the next book, the places that scare you. Because stopping and actually looking at your life and noticing how things change is disturbing. And things will arise which are frightening, but also it's the place where beauty and love and tenderness and generosity and humility and everything else arise. Because next book, comfortable with uncertainty. As we develop a steady practice with others, this cultivates a capacity that most people don't have to face our vulnerability in a wholesome way rather than railing against some containment. And then just one more in the series she published, Welcoming the Unwelcome. Ultimately, we learn to choose our lives rather than just cope with them or tolerate them. And that's the direction of a bodhisattva, to choose this life and to assist others in supporting their choice to live a life that helps each other rather than destroys each other. 
that brings us together than apart. But first, we have to follow the wisdom of no escape, starting where we are, meeting each other in a wholesome way. So it's a big arc on the four practice principles, but it's really the this heart of our practice at the very center of our practice. So I'd love to hear ways in which um, you may have questions or things that would help you in your practice. And as you come forward, bringing things that um, are relative to these teachings that they will, will help it open for others. So if you raise your hand, I uh, will look forward to speaking to you. Hello. From her closet in New Braunfels. I know. <laughs> we have to find the space. That's right. Well, I just wanted to say that um, this is so important. Um, your teaching was just so beautiful today, and it resonated so much because during this pandemic time, um, in I being alone and or you know just a very small mm -hmm. circle um i've learned to focus or to focus more than mm -hmm. i was doing you know in other words all the meetings that we would do and be getting dressed to go to and to the di distractions that we ha constantly have in our life and you know like i haven't I just order the groceries and either pick them up curbside or have them delivered or anything. It's just delivered. I don't go out doing all these errands that can used to consist. My life consisted of doing all of these errands. And that, so in other words, it's obviously that leaves more time for practice and interior growth and work. And it's just been a real gift to, like you say, in other words, to meet this, what was brought to me in that way to develop the focus that we're always studying and but actually do it. So That's what you're saying is you're appreciating the wisdom of no escape. Yes. Of what's come. Wonderful. Well, I think we're going to get a chance to continue for a while. So yes. we'll keep helping each other learning. Thanks, Penny. Is this prisoner number four three zero zero four three nine? And you're in your lockup. Did I do it? You're here. Oh, can you hear me? 
I can. We're ready to go. Oh, oh! I was waiting for some signal. Sorry. Oh well, sorry. I th- you were. Um, I thought you were just enjoying looking at my face or something. <laughs> well, that too. <laughs> I knew that with you. So. What's on your mind? Thank your heart? you. What's on my mind is this was a wonderful topic to talk about for me today because unlike Penelope um, I've been really kind of running away Mm. I see I've been sitting less I've been um, when I do sit I'm I'm fiddling around Mm -hmm. I'm doing all kinds of things that I know in my heart I really shouldn't be and for you to to give us the phrase when you're alone sit like you're with other people mm-hmm. and I've made so many excuses for why it's just okay yeah. to interrupt myself so I think this was kind of perhaps the kick in the pants with a gentle one, precision. So to speak. Gentle. <laughs> gentle, precise. Right. <laughs> but it was just a way to awaken me yeah. to mm-hmm. what I've been doing. And, and I've known. A lot of people. I've known I've been doing it. Mm-hmm. I've known it. But I just got caught. Mm-hmm. And I just kept going around. Yeah. I think sometimes what we forget is we see what we're doing, we know it, but we don't fully appreciate the impact it's having on us. That it's actually eroding something. Mm -hmm. Not because in some sort of moralistic way, you know, you're backsliding, you should, you know, not that. It's just, it's it's very practical. I haven't been mean to myself. No, it's very practical and um, very basic. It's it's not some esoteric thing. Mm -hmm. And the other piece we forget is that um, if we don't have some regular practice, uh, we're probably not um, as good with others. It doesn't support others as well. So it's not just for us. That's true. That's true. And a lot of and a lot of people are talking about this because it's, we're in such disarray right now, and there isn't a rhythm that is steady where we can come together, which helps. That does really, really help. It's hard to do this alone. It's very difficult. Mm-hmm. And so we do the best we can on Zoom and even sit on Zoom, which seems interesting to go online and do nothing. But to, to go online with others and sit actually is helpful. So thanks for, for bringing that up and speaking for that. Well, and another thing that I, I did before for a while was to go online early in the morning and hear Peg recite the ancestors yeah. Yeah. and then sit during mm-hmm. that time. And I, even though I found it very rewarding, I excuse myself from that. Mm-hmm. But I'm giving that good consideration to go back to sure, sure. getting a pattern. Sometimes it's um, we learn something when we have a kind of like a relapse. It's like, okay, stop for a while and see how it goes. You know, it's like each moment, life as it is, mm-hmm. like teacher. Yeah, <laughs> true. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.
Hello in Minneapolis. Uh, New Jersey. <laughs> New Jersey again, I'm sorry. I just confused you with somebody in Minneapolis, that's right. No, no worries, no worries. And someone who came to Cape Cod, actually. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, so um, a few things, the staying home, the quarantine, um, first of all, it brought me to a meditation practice, which I'd mentioned before was difficult for me to put into place. And uh, my anxiety at the beginning of the quarantine was what got me started. And um, then I saw that these inquiries were happening and it was very helpful because when I came back from Cape Cod, I was looking for a community, couldn't find one, and there it lay. So um, that has been very, very helpful. Um, and then um, I normally would be traveling, you know, this summer. Me too. Me too. Right. And um, I have a huge terrace that I moved to this apartment two years ago, and the apartment got furnished, but the terrace kind of was there. I thought this is, I'm going to create, you know, I'm going to put my funds, my travel funds into this beautiful place. Oh. And I found um, beautiful um, ornaments, like very nice ornaments and planters. And now I'm getting into the plants and taking care of them. So it's, it's become my, uh, my refuge, but not going, I'm not going too far away. <laughs> You're just going out through the door <laughs> at your travel to your exotic garden that you've created. Exactly. And it, it all seems to work together. One more thing about um, saving the body from last week. Yes. So I had mentioned that I'm standing because I have this herniated disc and it's getting better little by little. But I realized that um, when it's a flare up, I then begin my, my physical therapy exercises. And I thought, well, the six months that it's not bothering me, it's still there, and I need to save the body. So I've, you know, I've started, of course, now, but hope to, you know, morning and evening. It's seven minutes. It's, yeah. you know, anyway, save the body. Thank you. Well, there's an analog to that, too, which is, like, only do your meditation or only pray when things are bad. Exactly. What about the other time? that then actually helps you cultivate the capacity to hold what comes. Exactly. It's, pra thanks. it's practice. Thanks for that. Yeah. Thank you. I hope you continue. I'm uh, on my fifth day of recovery from my back going out. So, yeah. Excuse me. You're muted still, Maria. Ah, there, there we go. go. Yes. It's a bit of a process, isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's really interesting that when I, I mean, I've been watching your inquiries every week and how somehow each week I, I, I want to come on, and it, but you you answer something every week in the the talks that you do and how like today 
um, how important the subject is uh, for, for where, I at, where I'm at. And um, it's kind of, I was thinking about anxiety and how my relationship to anxiety is changing through the practice. Mm. That it's actually becoming um, an indicator, a source, a rich source mm-hmm. of where I know that maybe I'm offline or um, responding in a way that, or from a different place, from a place I don't want to be responding from. I mean, there's something about the observer is the observed. And it's something about observing how I'm mm-hmm. kind of responding from a place of conditioning. Yes. As opposed to the place where I truly wish to re- respond from, and the changes that that's creating. And there's something you said, I wrote it down because I liked it. It was the cause of our suffering is the response to the source. Yes. And there's something so powerful about that. I've noticed that. I mean, that's I read the, the book. Sorry, that's the go on. Oh, it's, I read, I read the book, is it um, a Norman Fisher book? I read it too fast. I think you can do this practice too fast sometimes. I got so excited with what I was learning about myself and mm-hmm. about my response and about my relationships in the world that I just read the whole book and then I was overwhelmed with all these don't be predictable, appreciate everyone, everything's... I had all these things going through my mind. But what I've learned is to sit with that anxiety. If I'm like in a difficult, I have a difficult relationship with a person in my life and, and to just sit with the response that I'm having from what that person says, instead of moving along or trying to justify me or defend me and just sit with it, how different that is and what I learn about what I would predictably do yes. in that situation, but do something different sit with it don't run from the suffering the anxiety and what opens up in that space for me what's been opening up is so incredible yeah and and what i'm learning liberation yeah yeah we're not liberated from all suffering and pain what we're liberated from is our habits yeah (laughs) yeah and 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 how many we have and how many different parts of ourselves they come from, the younger selves, all of the different parts that might say want to, to prove that I'm okay or that I don't need to prove that. It, it's kind of like sitting with, you know, I'm okay. And, this, and, and also understanding through the practice and through uh, doing all kinds of things is, is like where that person's coming, opening up a space so that I can think, where's that person coming from? What suffering place is the need to be like that this way? Where's that? And it's opening up a vaster understanding Mm -hmm. of some difficult relationships I have and what my part is in that and what their part is in that Mm -hmm. and and that you can change that, that you can do something different. And it's good to hear your enthusiasm that this really makes a difference. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this lockdown has been not a gift for so many, but a gift in the sense that I've been able to sit more, to be with the practice. Um, I was already starting to sit longer and longer. And then the practice is kind of sitting with others online as well as, as created me sitting longer with myself mm-hmm. when I'm not with others as well. It's, 
and the response to everyday things, you know, just, you know, slowing things down that I do and really doing them mm -hmm. and really being with them and noticing the anxiety and what that's been in my past that I've yeah. always seen it as like, like a neurosis or something negative when actually it's always called me. It's well, always called me. Sorry. I have homework for you. Yeah. Yeah. You have so much energy right now for this, which is fantastic, and you're demonstrating how it's helping you. Go back and read Norman's book again more slowly. I'll have to. <laughs> you'll, these things that you're realizing now, you'll see how they're there. So do that and let me know how that goes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, and you do have to read it slowly, don't you? It's not something. But I think it was because I was learning so much it was like I wanted to get to the next bit instead of being patient and just staying with mm -hmm. one thing for a while at a time. And that's what I need to go back. And that's what I'm suggesting. Smaller, yeah. steps. smaller, slower steps. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for your part. Thank in you. All this. It's just yeah. amazing and, and wonderful. And I always do seem a bit more energy. You know, my heart starts racing when I'm sorry, but I did want to meet. We haven't met for a while. So I wanted to meet today. So thank I thought I'll come on and, and share where, where I'm up to. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you. Hi, Kim. Hi, Flint. Can you see me? Yes, yes. You see you and hear you. Great. Great. So my question has changed as I've sat here, mm -hmm. oftentimes does. But I, I think my question was initially, is there ever wisdom in escape? Um, but then I was starting to realize that what I'm actually asking is not escape. Yeah, that's the key. Right. Mm -hmm. I there think I'm in stepping away from unwholesome and taking in the whole picture because it's not all morose. It's not all like I am so encompassed right now in the experience of homelessness, right. COVID, because that's my role. And and the public health crisis of racial injustice and how that's playing out. And, um, and I can spend, I, I mean, I dream about it. Like, it's not just, it's not just, you know. You're totally immersed in it. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, I've had this question in my mind, like, is it ever too much? Like, can one person is, can, can it just break you eventually? Is there, is there a way, uh, um, is there a way that the, that one could not handle this? Like, it, can I? Well, really. Let's go back to the, the teaching. Um, we want to turn toward the moment so that we can see what it actually is. But people think the teaching stop there so that we can respond appropriately, which may mean you back up or take some time off 
it's why I have that, you know, almost silly little phrase that bodhisattvas have boundaries. Right. You don't, it's not turn towards life as it is and just keep turning and turning and turning and that's all there is. Now, most people won't turn toward life as it is. What they do is they get a reaction like Maria was talking about and respond to that reaction and they don't, it's not a wholesome. Right. Compassion, that's compassion's way is actually meeting what's there, but compassion for self and the world. Right. Compassion might mean I need to take a week off like you just did, or I need right. to um, back up a little bit. I need to ask for some help, whatever it is. That's not turning away toward what's needed. Right. I think that I can think that, especially things that are frivolous, are escapist. Mm-hmm. You know, so to take the time to watch Queer Eye. And, you know, whatever, like drink a beer or something, you know, like. What if it's just the medicine, though, that's needed? Right. <laughs> Queer eye is medicine, I just have to say. But. Yeah, what if it is? What is the antidote to, you, you have enough seriousness. Yeah. And you're dedicated to it. If you were watching that television show or any other one as a way to erode your willingness and capacity to do good in the world, that would be one thing if it were actually an intoxicant that was preventing something. But if it's, but play and joy is essential or we dry up and die. You can't, if there's nothing for the child in you, in your life, you'll be depressed. Right. And you'll feel despair. It has to be some joy, playfulness. Well, I think the, uh, oddly, you know, the dis- Despair that I oftentimes feel is the are the the arrows I sort of shoot at myself for taking those breaks for not being on point all the time, and so you know there's a way you can just take away from from your ability just to just to like enjoy some things like it's not all bad like there's a lot of beautiful beautiful yes. things happening, and yeah, yeah it's it just feels sticky it's also difficult because the need and the difficulty around us doesn't end and sometimes it's like well when everything's taken care of then i'll rest exactly but everything's never taken care of and so you don't let yourself rest you have to rest in order to continue to take care that's the only way to do it and i think right now uh, you know public health is hitting the wall of their capacity, of our capacity, right? In, in this response and, and it's wholly inadequate. Yeah. And, um, and there are very real consequences. And yeah. so to feel all of that and to feel the weight of it. Um, and then to put that down for a minute, yeah. you know, like, because I could, I mean, I could just work and work and work and work and work. Yeah, because the, the end is, uh, the, there's no end in sight, so you would just continue. Um, right. I, I often feel the same way. I so bet. Have some play, have some joy, so that you can go back in the fray sometimes. Yeah. Because it'll, it'll be waiting for you. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Well, the other thing I'll just say is this is the stuff that actually makes it possible. because it's it's mostly me feeling alone in it and i know that's not real 
either. Yeah. So yeah. I appreciate it. Thank you, everyone. Thank, Thank you so much for, for coming on. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like we're at the end of our time, and I want to respect our time kind of constraints for today. Uh, and just now we're going to chant what we normally do in the beginning, the verse of the robe, and now listen to those words uh, relative to what we've spoken about today. And what Kim just talked about in terms of the larger picture and also the good. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction, wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction, wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Vast is the robe of liberation, a formless field of benefaction, wearing the universal teaching, I realize the one true nature, thus harmonizing all being. Thank you very much. and uh, hope to see you um, next week. I believe Jessica has a final word. Hi there, everybody. Thank you so much for your time and thank you so much, Flint. Um, Appamata's programs are freely offered so that everyone may participate regardless of their means. Everyone is welcome and supported on their spiritual path here. We are grateful for the generosity of those who are able to contribute in support of our Sangha, these programs, and our teachers. If you'd like to help support Appamata or our teachers, you may offer Donna for Appamata or directly to the teachers on the Appamata website through the contribute link. Thank you very much, and we hope to see you again soon.